Everyone knows that putting money aside in savings is really important. But then what? Should you keep your savings locked in a CD for a higher rate or keep them liquid in a money market? Can your checking account help you save too? Or is it about creating the right combination? We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about the savings options that are right for you. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com. Member FDIC. This episode of Wishers Breakaway is brought to you by you. Yeah, you listening. Um, and I mean it seriously this time because Greg and I are celebrating today our five-year anniversary show, which has been, it's been a weird emotional day for me, if I'm being honest, to look back. Uh, right, we started this show when I was 26. I'm going to go on a little bit of a ramble here, so stick with me. Started the show when I was 26 in my bedroom, and I'm actually back in my bedroom tonight for the first time in a long time because I'm babysitting my dog here back in New York. And I'm 31 now. We've done a presidential term. My beard has gone totally gray in some spots. Uh, the Rangers have finished their rebuild, question mark, and gotten some really nice draft picks. Started a church. Um, talked to Adam Clendenning. Have definitely done a lot of funny things on the podcast. You know, made friends with Rick after we hated him, and he's a nice guest on our fifth anniversary show. Um, started a rivalry with Vince. We've done it all. Um, interviewed at MSG multiple times. Been ignored at MSG multiple times. Tried to do Rangers everything with them and just... I'm always trying to make the best content, Rangers, Ranger content we can. And Greg and I, we hate each other. I mean, uh, we have an animosity. I mean, we somehow work together. Um, and I have to give him all the credit in the world because to talk to me every single Monday for five years straight is hard. And likewise with him. Uh, it's a situation where I can't believe we've come this far and I can't thank you all enough. I've made great friends. We're talking like people I consider family from this podcast. Uh, you know, Nick, Bob, a bunch of people I won't name out there. Um, everybody there's so many I it feels weird just like sitting here naming names for a while but there's a lot of people that I've I've grown really close with I'll say one more Dan um and it's weird to be like oh how'd you meet all these friends and people you really love like oh podcast and I've got to work with great people I've got to have great experience and I honestly I the people that support us like our Patreon subscribers and people that have reached out to us and people that have said like hey you get me through the week and all that stuff like I can't believe it sometimes uh it gets me really emotional if I'm being perfectly honest um so with all that being said I can't thank you so much for supporting Greg and I over the past five fucking years where we just record every single Monday night to make sure that if you're a Ranger fan, you have something to listen to on Tuesday, no matter what it is, whether it's the Mets <laughs> or whatever we're talking about. You know, I always try and bring it back to the Rangers um, at the end of the day. Little Greg, little Greg call there at the end of the day. All right. Love you guys. We're going to get to the show now. Here we go. Here's Mark Messier. I, and again, thank you all so much to support everybody over the years. Literally everyone. Thank you. Hi, everybody. It's Mark Messier. And you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Busher Breakfast. Welcome to the week of the Busher Breakaway. I am your host Ryan Mead, and I'm here with my co-host Greg Kaplan of the Athletic. I'm also the of the, of the Athletic, and it is our five-year anniversary, Gregory. Since we last spoke, so much has happened. Say hello. Two hundred and sixty Mondays later. It's sickening. What number? What number did you think we would get to? Like the honest answer. Yes. I thought we'd like teeter out at one hundred and seven, and I'm dead ass serious. Like, I, I thought, like, 107, we'd be like, all right, we did 100 episodes. That was commendable, <laughs> right? Like, great job by us by going that far. We could call it now, you know? 
But 260 is a lot, Greg. It's- I got to be honest. I don't know if I ever thought we'd get to 50. I think once we got to 50, I was like, we're definitely getting to 100. Like, that yes. was that was the goal. Once we hit 50, I was like, all right, 100 is obtainable. 260 doesn't make sense. Like, when I really think about it. It's like, whoa, every Monday for 260 straight Mondays, I've talked to Greg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, now, there was... There was one Monday where I was only on for five minutes right. because you were still on. I was doing basketball in Norfolk, Virginia Yep. for Savannah State. Yep. Uh, and then there was another Monday where you and I pre-recorded something because we went to Europe for two weeks. Right. But other than that, I mean, I've, I've recorded this podcast from a couch in Switzerland. Um, yep. We've done it from hotel rooms. I did it from a hotel room in Vegas. You did it from a car driving home from a wiffle ball, uh, kickball game. Sorry, there's been and that wasn't. I even also a, did it from a car driving home from said European trip. Yes, yeah. After we got off an overnight trip, both of us. Fuck, man, we've done so much to get this podcast going here, and uh, it's been a wild ride. I it's been a weird day just thinking about how it's been five years. I still can't believe it, and especially because the last two weeks have been. Um, like, let's talk about the biggest news there was over the last two weeks, right? Trebek. I mean, rest in peace. That guy's a legend. Yeah, that one hit. That, I, a lot of them have hit hard this year. Uh, Tom Seaver hit really hard for obvious reasons. I, I'm, start, I'm getting to an age now where it doesn't really matter how hard it hits for me. I get affected by how hard it hits my dad. Yeah. So Tom, Tom Seaver was a really big one. Uh, getting Connery and Trebek in the same essential two-week period feels just like a quadruple punch it's a rough one especially and and then you've had a week of emotions because obviously you work in news and i don't know if you heard about yeah i I gotta tell you the president elect Uh, (laughs) yeah well the inside baseball here for everyone if you've been listening for 260 episodes i guess you've deserved a little bit peek behind the curtains ryan texted me at what had to have been noon 12 30 today being like hey man let's fire up at seven we'll have our guests come on at 7 45 the incomparable steve cohen or Rick Carpinello. I don't know which one. Yeah, it's a surprise. One of them will call us. Sorry. Um, And I just didn't respond to you for a literal four hours because I didn't want to jinx anything. Uh, In my head, I was like, all right, seven. I've now gotten to the point where I just don't expect work to ever be normal again until we're about one week removed from inauguration. Yeah. I think work is just going to be hell I agree. until then. Yeah. Uh, work has been hell on my side also. Uh, I know this is just us talking about our lives, so deal with it. It's our five-year anniversary, and we're going to have Rick Carpinello on. Uh, so you can I'll put the timestamp in if you want to fast-forward to it, I promise. But uh, even with that, Greg, last week as I was at the protests in Philadelphia, which were wild, um, I have to say, absolutely crazy. Definitely uh, COVID was <laughs> looking over it, like rubbing its hand together. It was fucking awesome. Um on top of that, you know, the Mets blew up their old front office, which we're going to do a whole segment on at the it. end of the podcast after after Rick. So uh, we'll get to that. So if you want to hear Gregory's Mets takes, we're going to put it at the end. Um, I guess we should talk about some Rangers, but I just want to congratulate us one time. Uh, great job, bud. I can't believe we did it five years. It's uh, We've accomplished so much and yet gotten so little. <laughs> uh, well, we've made some friends. That's really nice. And and uh something yeah like that. something like that yes all right let's talk about uh the ranger news from the week because there actually is ranger news and there's something i want to throw towards your way and and tell me if mm. uh tell me if you think i'm crazy for this i i speaking of making friends i for this so just for this specifically 
just this just specific thought process. Um, I, I spoke with our good friend Dan LaRose for a good three and a half hours like, or something the other day because uh, we're psychopaths. And one thing we discussed in, in depth um, was the difference between signing Jesper Faz and Brendan Lemieux. Now, I did the math. I'm not a math guy, but I did the math. There is a 0.45 difference in, in monies uh, between Jesper Fass and Brendan Lemieux uh, when it comes to, like, I think it's $450,000 or something like that. And while that is a significant difference to any, me or you would take four hundred five. <laughs> that's a lot of cash, Greg, is what I'm trying to say. Um, but when it comes down to it, would you rather have Brendan Lemieux for two years or would you rather have Jesper Fast for three? Because you're, the logic, according to John Davidson at this point in time, was like, hey, we have a place to play him. We have a lot of young guys we want to play. And like, yes, Brendan Lemieux is only two years and Jesper Fast is three, but can, couldn't you not, couldn't you just trade him at that point? And if you wanted to make up that difference in money um, earlier in the offseason, I mean, if you don't sign Jack Johnson, which we've already talked about in depth on this podcast, for $1.15 million, and maybe sign somebody for nine two five, like that's half that money. Like, am I crazy for thinking about that might just be a mismanaged situation, or am I overvaluing the overly, the always underrated Jesper Fast in this situation? I, I don't know. I don't think... It wouldn't be it, – it's not signing Jesper Foss to a three-year deal, though. It's signing Jesper Foss to a one-year deal and then helping Seattle doesn't take him in the expansion draft, right? Yeah, because I guess it, that's true. It, it, it would essentially come down to – it doesn't feel like the Rangers want to protect Ryan Strom, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later. We will. The Brandon Lemieux himself now feels like he's not going to be protected. It feels like the Rangers are keeping these guys around to make sure they're protecting their younger players. So if push comes to shove – and the Rangers exposed both Ryan Strom and Jesper Fast. Ryan Strom at four and a half, Jesper Fast at two. Jesper Fast is a goner You're there. You're telling me you wouldn't want just Jesper Fast at two? You think he might be the more effective player anyway? Totally a goner. Absolutely getting taken. So that, so then the question isn't, well, should the Rangers have kept Jesper Fast or Brennan the Mew? I don't know, we're talking about one year. And we already agree that this year ain't going to be great for the New York Rangers. So That's does it really matter at the end of the day? Is it a talking point that we should be upset about feeling one way or the other about i'm not sure look the yes profess thing sucks I, I i can't sit here and say anything to make it sound better but i also it would be weird if the rangers protected yes profess if they kept him because he'd be older one of their older players a guy who again good teams should be able to find yes profess without having to pay him i understand the problem here is the rangers didn't really have to pay him because the pandemic kind of screwed Jesper Foss, but big time. Yep. Big time. I mean, the argument is the Rangers wanted Jesper Foss back on a two-year deal. That's what they offered him. Yeah. So if, if Jesper came back on a two-year deal, would they have gone two years with Brendan Lemieux? Would Brendan Lemieux still be a New York Ranger? Would he have been traded? That's a good question. I think the difference here is the Rangers didn't want to go three for one reason or another. They clearly had the money to go three if they wanted to though. I think what it really comes down to is the Rangers, after that second year, just can't or don't want to envision a scenario where Jesper Foss needs to be a top nine forward for them. Yeah, no matter what. And if what it's not going to be a top nine forward for them, they don't want to be spending $2 million on a guy that might not be able to squeak significant ice time. So they just decided to play the kids. It Look, it sucks. Again, I'd rather have Jesper Foss than Brendan Lemieux if we're talking about it in a vacuum. At the same time, I can understand why the Rangers didn't want to go three years with Jesper. And if Jesper could get three years, I understand why he left. So it's, you know, it's a double-edged sword there. 
Agree. I just, I didn't think of the Seattle point when I was having that discussion. I think that is like maybe it doesn't matter. Like maybe no matter what happens, no matter who they kept, it didn't matter because they'll probably end up taking. Well, they Seattle probably ends up taking Brett Howden. That is if the Rangers expose Brett Howden. By the way, it's not I a guarantee. I, with the two year deal, I think the leader in the clubhouse is now Strom, because I, I think Seattle. We know a couple people in that front office. They're very smart, but at the uh, to to say a a two hundred and sixty episode. Uh, Idiotism. Yes. Uh, at the end of the day, can Ryan. I, can I tell you, I did an intro and I did a nod to you saying that in the beginning of this wow. intro. I know. Wow. Just play the hits, baby. At the end of the day, I, I think Strom will probably get the hashtag points again this year. And Seattle will be smart enough to understand that even if he's a guy they can flip for things themselves at next year's deadline, I think Strom has become the leader in the clubhouse for Seattle, me personally. I think I agree with you. Let's speak about Strom now, I guess. So two years, they avoid arbitration. Mm-hmm. Rangers uh, continue their 11-year streak, I believe it was, of not taking any players to arbitration. Two years, $4.5 million. Um, Solid deal, both sides. There's, is there anything to complain about? I, You know, going the second year, like maybe you can complain about that, but otherwise, I don't see anything wrong here. From a Rangers perspective, it's it's perfect because the Rangers can do whatever the hell they want with Ryan Strom now. It, it begs the... I mean... It, it also sucks for Ryan Strom. It does suck I, for Ryan Strom. He deserves that money. And Evolving Wild, by the way, had him at like eight years, like five point seven, like an insane. But they also amount. said they also said his two year term would have been somewhere around like the four point eight five million range. Yes, so. and and because of pandemic, you got to take half a million out of that, and et cetera. They had the negotiating power as the as the Rangers do in this situation. Maybe the arbiter go like, arbitration we talked about in hockey is is silly because it's not like they they always find a spot in between of what the asking of the high and the yeah. low point was. It's kind of it's silly. silly. It, it really should be is. like baseball where you have to choose between what the team wants to pay and what the player wants to get paid. Absolutely. So it should be your only two options. You shouldn't get to create your own number. Um, but it, it does it does stink for Ryan Strom because there are a few players that should have been able to capitalize on a big season like Strom should have been able to. There really isn't a scenario in normal circumstances where he – shouldn't be making at least $5 million. And that, that stinks. I feel for him. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that 4.5 isn't a lot of money. It's, of course, more yeah. money than my big Right, Ryan Strom, doing good. But uh, could have done better. Yeah, but you, you also, you understand it from Ryan Strom's perspective. The flat cap is going to exist for the next two years. So if Strom did one year, what he, the money isn't going to be magically made available from other teams in a flat cap world. We don't know when fans are going to be going back to games we don't know how long this season is even going to be so there's there was no benefit for ryan strom to walk this to free agency he might as well lock himself into a two-year deal that guarantees him some kind of money um and it was probably smart on strom's behalf to make the salary figure higher in year two than year one because there's a better chance of an 82 game season in year two than there is in year one yeah there's not Uh, i think there's a non like pretty much a zero percent chance of an 82 game season in year one Yes, I would agree. But it, it's hard to see it from it's hard to see a negative from the Rangers perspective. The Rangers have made it abundantly clear that they're happy to have Ryan Strome, but they don't see him as part of their long-term future. They've made it abundantly clear that they are comfortable with having Strome start the season as their 2C, but they will allow every and any player named Philip Petel to try to take that spot away from him. They have announced that they are comfortable with eventually trading Ryan Strome. They've tried to do it already this offseason. They've seemingly said they're going to try to do it each of the next two trade deadlines and another offseason. 
They've made by giving him two years. They've made it clear that they're willing to lose him in the expansion draft. Uh, you name it, the Rangers have every option available to them for a player that they are okay with having, but look forward to turning into a asset that is not currently in their system. So there, there, there are no complaints. The only complaints you can come up with come from the Reinstrom camp. And I honestly, I, I do, I do. As I feel as bad for him as I could possibly feel for someone that's about to make four and a half million dollars next year. Which is it's it's hard to feel that bad, but you really when you look at it, he earned a lot it more sucks. than that. It sucks. It sucks. It, it sucks. Blows. He's not the only now, he's not the only player getting pinched. Obviously, there are plenty of players getting pinched, and it sucks for all of them. But this one specifically to the New York Rangers, yeah, kind of sucks. I feel bad for Ryan Strom. On the Rangers side, though, it's pretty phenomenal. And we'll talk to Rick Carpinello about the, his projected lines because I'm going to grill Rick about a bunch of stuff because I don't know what he's doing. So we'll, <laughs> we'll ask him about everything. But uh, they get back a competitive player who allows them to still be um, – the Rangers were quite good last year in the regular season. Maybe they weren't a playoff team if it wasn't for COVID. But they were quite good, and Ryan Strom had great chemistry with Artemi Panarin, and obviously they like each other, and he's a good locker room guy, which I know is bullshit for a lot of situations, but people love Ryan Strom, and we had him on the show. He was He's incredibly likable, like insanely likable. So uh, I'm happy he got his cash, at least a good amount of it, $4.5 million. And I think the Rangers will try and trade him at all costs uh, at the deadline and in, and, and in the offseason, and if not, they'll let Seattle take a look, take a peek, and decide if they want to take him to there. I think that's really all I can say about Ryan Strom at this point. Come back on the show, Ryan. Um, I was going to message him, but I didn't think it would work. Surprise. Uh, all right, let's talk about Brendan Lemieux real quick before we get to Rick Carpinello, who will be joining us in a few minutes. I just wish Brendan Lemieux had more tangibles. Or, th- <laughs> or th- things that I would I like. I just wish Brendan Lemieux was good. I was, because one of the things I was thinking about Brendan Lemieux, I was like, okay, let's let's evaluate his game like I'm Corey Pronman, like breaking down his mm-hmm. game with numbers, right? I was like, can he skate? Mm-hmm. I was like, well, not really. Um, what about his shooting ability? Well, it's not really there. The only way he scores goals is like when he's kind of around the net and it like bounces off him. And then he like, he's like, yeah, I got the goal. I like, okay, cool. All right, so he can't skate. What about his passing? Well, I don't know really about that. Well, was he physical enough? Like, yeah, I guess he does that. But not really. Like, yes, he has some hits and he's scrappy and he's a pest in that way. But I wouldn't say he's like an overly physical, dominating player who could just like take someone to the boards and then like, outwin a puck battle. Like, what's his hustle mm-hmm. like? And I was like, um, well, yeah, none of that really works, huh? What, um, do I like this deal? Like, my gut reaction was like 1.5, what, 5, 5 million for Brennan Lemieux over two years. I was like, that's good. But I expected lower and people, I guess, expected higher. But to me, I was like, I think that's like, 200,000 like it was like 10 years of like my salary higher than it should have been in my personal opinion I was like in a really sad reflection moment of of my life I just just don't Um, get it and I'd love for him to prove I'd love for them to prove me wrong and I'm sure there's Brendan Lemieux lovers out there that are like hey he's a great player a lot of scrap need that grip baby but I just I'm watching some highlights of Brendan Lemieux I was like I don't know what he does well like yeah he draws penalties it's cool that's super dope anything else like, is Kevin Rooney a more valuable asset than Brendan Lemieux? Because I think yes. I mean, potentially. Here's here's the thing. We've, we've talked about this on the podcast before. I'm trying to pull up uh, his evolving hockey profile here, and I'm having a hard time because it's all good. Twins hate me this week. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, it all you need. So, Brendan Lemieux, fourth line player. I don't, I don't think we need to be anywhere overly. Uh, nice about it i mean it's not even being nice like it is what it is but here's the thing we've talked about this before when it comes to the fourth line players as long as you're 
I don't like using the word elite, but as long as you're very good at one thing on the fourth line, you will have a long and profitable NHL career. And Brendan Lemieux is really good at one thing, which is drawing penalties. He is incredibly good. He's really at good putting at the Rangers situations to capitalize yep. offensively. He doesn't, he doesn't have to play a lot of ice time for this to happen. It's, it's a very valuable thing to have, especially again, for a guy, he played a little over 12 minutes a night for the Rangers last year. I think part of that is inflated by the fact that for whatever reason, the Rangers had him on their second power play unit. And hopefully as the Rangers continue to evolve, Brendan Lemieux is not on a special teams unit whatsoever, but in his 10-ish minutes a night, if he's creating a power play opportunity for the Rangers on a every other game basis, I think that's really good. That is really he's good. Not gonna, he's not going to score 40 points. He doesn't have a great shot. He doesn't play very well defensively. I think doesn't have he a great shot is generous. I think it's generous. <laughs> yeah, I, he, he exists. But you, as little as the Rangers play their fourth line, as long as everyone on that fourth line is really good at one thing, I'm fine. I'm happy because at even strength, they're just not going to play. So Lemieux's there to draw penalties. Kevin Rooney is here to kill penalties. And Phil DiGiuseppe is here to kind of be a jack-of-all-trades master or none and be some responsible responsibility defensively. Like, if that's the fourth line, cool, that's great. Fine. great. That's fine. That's not a bad fourth line. Nope. Would I pay Brendan Lemieux $1.5 million? Probably not. Okay, no. fo- follow up on that, Gregory. Is yeah. If his name's not Lemieux, mm-hmm. does he get more than minimum? I can't see it. I can't see it. I just don't see it. I don't know. I maybe it's tough to say. Yeah, this he is a guy that had prospect pedigree. That's he's, fair. He's not a guy that just happened, right? It, like Kevin Rooney just kind of happens. He's not a guy that came in with a lot of fanfare and hype, right? Like an Lemieux come in with fanfare and hype because of his last name. It's totally possible, but again, it, it's I don't know. He's a young player mm-hmm. that has. Did he deserve a raise from last season? I think so. Should that raise have been what the Rangers were offering, which is like a little a shade over eleven uh, one million dollars? Yeah, probably, most likely. But it's for me, honestly, it's kind of picking nits with Brandon Lemieux. It's not one. It it's one in a, You can move a, hundred, a one million one and a half million dollars. Whatever you want. Whenever you want. Yeah, you're right. All right, let's get to our guest, Rick Carpinello, our good friend of the show. Before we do that, let's take a quick break. Transition. Hey, we're back with our special fifth-year anniversary guest, our good, dear best friend, Rick Carpinello. Rick, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Happy anniversary, boy. Thank you so much. I have a first question. Um, if you could say something nice about us for our fifth-year anniversary that was really complimentary, what would you say? I would say that your loyalty to the team is wow. unbelievable. Thank you. Thank and, you so much. And that you're extremely loyal and that you're extremely knowledgeable, even though I don't always disagree. Always, I don't always agree. Um, I don't always disagree either. So I think you guys do a really good job, and I admire your passion for the team. Wow, Rick. Thanks I, uh, so much. If, if that's what you would say, I really don't want to know what you wouldn't say, but I appreciate I just, it. I just want to <laughs> point out that not even two minutes ago, before we even hit record with Rick, Ryan said, I'm not going to ask you any gotcha questions. <laughs> the very first question Ryan asked is a gotcha question. <laughs> I don't think that's a gotcha. I tell the truth, man. That's I'm not, it. I'm not, 
I'm not blowing smoke up there. Straight shooters. All right, buddy. Let's actually get to the Rangers. Uh, people listen to uh, obviously care a lot about your opinion on what's happening in the offseason. What are your thoughts on the Ryan Strom arbitration or avoiding arbitration deal and what getting uh, getting him for two years and $4.5 million means for the Rangers? You know, I wrote, I wrote all about it, and it's interesting. I wrote a little bit more about it today for tomorrow because I'm writing a story about the um, – coming up trade deadline and free agency next summer mm-hmm. because there's nothing else to write about. <laughs> but um, I think it's really interesting. I think, you know, the Rangers wanted him back at a price um, and they know they can't replace him right now. But, I, but I'm sure that in the back of their minds, in the back of GM Jeff Gorton's mind and team president John Davidson's mind and probably coach David Quinn's mind, they know that ultimately they're going to need an upgrade at number two center. Um, I think they have a. I think there's a lot of comfort in Strom because he can play the special teams and because he obviously works with Panarin, and they like his personality. In fact, they love the way he's uh, seen in the locker room and the way he's seen by his teammates. Uh, so you know, I think they did want him back, um, at, but they, there was a price at which they didn't want to go over. And then there was the situation where he's certainly going to be on on the chopping block in terms of a trade as soon as one comes up. I mean, if one comes now, it'll be now. If one comes at the next deadline, it'll be then. If one comes next summer, and then, and then the following deadline will be the last shot. Um, I don't see any way he's here past his contract. And I think he knows that. So, it was a good. It was a good deal for him. It was a good deal for them. Uh, he gave up a year of free of free agency, and uh, he gets a chance to pad his statistics again with with Panarin. Um, if he had had one more year and had a great year with the flat cap, he still wasn't guaranteed a big big money next summer. So I think it was a good move for him to get the two years, which the Rangers wanted, and and uh, a fair amount of money. So. Uh, it works out for everybody, and again, but I don't think it's permanent, um, and I think he knows that. Uh, Rick, if Strom, it, I'm trying to phrase this question without giving the question away before I do. I'm going to give you two players, and let, let's assume for a second that they play the exact same amount of games with the New York Rangers next year. So a full season for both players. Mm-hmm. At the end of the season, what would you say the percentage chance is that Philip Heedle ends the year with more games on the second line than Ryan Strom if they are playing the same amount of games? Well, I mean, the, the qualifier there that you left out is how well is he playing. Right. So, I mean, I think both of them have a good chance of playing all 82 games. But if Heedle's not ready for that responsibility, then he won't be. And, and, and there's no point in this year when it's obviously – this year is going to be obviously a rebuilding year. In, in the respect that they're coming back with the same team or less pretty much in terms of the veteran players that were on the ice when they stopped playing last year. Uh, I think that, therefore, you don't force Heedle. And what I wrote as far as a win for the Rangers in this deal was that they don't have to force him. And that, you know, if he's not ready for it, so be it. You know, Give him another year. He's only 21. Um, he obviously had some struggles at first when he first came into the NHL and he was, you know, he was forced in as a teenager. Uh, I think that, you know, it, it benefits him to have Strom around. 
Now, now if, if Heedle is playing better than Strom, Heedle will be the number two center. And then the Rangers are really blessed to have Strom as a three center, although he's probably making too much money. It doesn't matter. This this year is about, you know, tr- getting to the corner and then turning it next year uh, and then thereafter. So I, I think I think Heedle will have every chance to prove that he's ready to do it. I don't know that he is, and I and we don't know uh, what Strom will be in in comparison to what he did last year. We expect that he'll be we expect that he and Panarin will work. But we'll also we'll also see how much, if at all, they miss Fost. And I think they will miss Fost. Yeah, let's get to that right now. So I've been um pretty vocal about the Esper Fost deal that we went to Carolina obviously for three years and two million a year, which I thought was a spectacular deal for a player like Jesper Fast. Did you hear from the organization at all or any other players about how they felt about losing Jesper? Obviously, they're going to miss him a ton. Um, I think what he brought to the one the players player like I don't know six million years in a row more than any Ranger. Yeah. Um, and not only that, but he played on the penalty kill. John Davidson came out and said, "Hey, this was about opportunity playing time for other young wingers, and really about that third year that really did it for us." But uh, did you did you get any feedback from the organization? Did you get any feedback from players about what they they thought about losing Jesper? I do know that they didn't want to lose him, um, and I do know that once they accounted for all the all the possible bonus overages and payouts, that they couldn't keep him. Um, not knowing where Strom and D'Angelo were going to end up, end up at the time, um, and still having to sign Georgiev and Lemieux and Di Giuseppe and all the other guys, you know, they didn't know if they would have enough to sign fast. And they certainly, absolutely, 100% did not want to lose him, but knew they probably would lose him because of the flat cap and where they were. Um, the players players are very, I don't want to say they're upset, because I think, you know, the guys, especially the guys who've been around since this whole thing started in 2018, they've seen guys go out the door, very popular guys. They've seen two guys go out the door before Foss did this year. They were very, very popular. Um, so... I don't think it's you know it's that kind of hurt because I think they've come to expect it, but they'll miss they'll terribly miss him as a player, um, and people un- underrate him. People say he's not that great and he should be on the third or fourth line and all, and all that's fine and good, but you still need you know when they came off the off the sweep by Carolina they said they needed you know, some body, some people who are tough to play against. And, and so I think they need more Jesper Fosts than fewer. Um, I don't agree that he's a first-line winger, but he, but those two guys needed him. So I, they'll miss him. And, and I, think they'll, I think they will openly say that if we ever get off Zoom chats, if we ever get a chance to right. interview somebody face-to-face again, I think they'll say that. Um, and, but I know that the Rangers didn't want to lose him, but they felt they were forced yeah, it. How I mean, obviously, it became a big deal. Um, the Rangers only wanted to go two. Jesper obviously got a third year. Do you think the Rangers' unwillingness to go to that third year has to do with their confidence in their children that are coming up the pipe now on the wing? Yeah, I, I mean, certainly that's all part of it. Um, they they know that they're going to have to make room, and I think they're going to start have to start making room this year. Um, you know, if if Heedle and Kako and Lafreniere all are ready to play, and I mean play, you know, I want by play I mean play any like NHL players like 
they're projected to play, and, and certainly Lafreniere and Kako aren't going to be 50-goal scorers right away, but they, they're going to be players who maybe can play on the, in the top six right away. Where are you going to put guys like Buchnevich? Where are you going to put guys like, you know, some of these other guys there, like Morgan Barron when he, when he arrives? And, you know, you can't have Kravtsov on the fourth line. So I think that certainly there's time for them to make some room up front and and that is one thing the Fost, losing Fost accomplishes, is that it opens up another hole for, for some young player to play, um, as long as that young player is not, after this year, you know, Phil DiGiuseppe or, uh, you know, that type of player. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got to be one of, their, one of their draft picks who comes in this year or next year and, uh, and earns a spot. And uh, you can't, you, again, I think Buchnevich is, is probably in danger here because... Yeah, that was going to be my question there, Rick. Cause, yeah, go for it. Because with, with Buchnevich, like, could you see them chopping him? Because just like Ryan Strom, where they're going to take any chance and opportunity to get value for him, truly, I believe that. I think Buchnevich, if you look through the projections for years down the line, I'm not sure they want to pay him more than $5 million for five to six years. Um, as good as Buchnevich is, and we love Buchnevich, and we've been um, we've <laughs> we've touted him on this podcast for a very very long time. But still, I don't see I just don't I don't see the finances working. Do you see them trying to trade him at any point? Yes, absolutely. I, I don't. I, I agree with you. I don't think. I'm sure they don't want to pay him five million, um, and I, I don't think that. I think that what makes him a little easier to sell off is is there's still that something that that's not there all the time. Um, I, I think he. I think he's more engaged now than he ever was, um, and you know most of the last year he was, and and at the end of the previous year he was. Uh, but there's still that, you know, he turns it off sometimes. And I think that's going to make it easier for them to say goodbye to him when they ultimately do. Um, that said, he's an extremely talented kid, but he can't block Lafreniere or Kako from playing, you know, on one of those top two lines. And if Kreider's going to move to the left, to the right, which is very possible to make room for Lafreniere, then, then where's Bushnevich going to play? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, obviously, obviously, this year you move up and play with uh, Strom and Panarin, perhaps. <laughs> but he, but once Kako's ready to take that job, then where's Bushnevich playing? He's not a third line player. He's certainly not a fourth line player. Absolutely not. So, so while, uh, I, I think he's I think he's going to be available. While while we're talking about guys switching sides here, um, we've we've been hearing a lot about Kreider. We've been talking a lot about Tony D'Angelo. Yep. Do you consider this year, with as much money as Tony got uh, on his two-year bridge deal this year, can you see any situation in which the Rangers don't ask him to play on the left of either Truba or Fox? Uh, yes, <laughs> because because a they don't really don't have a right-hand guy either, <laughs> and, and but they do they desperately need a left. They you know they, you can't have. Brendan Smith, Ryan Lindgren, Jack Johnson. I mean, that, it's simple as that. <clears throat> and even if Hayek or somebody else comes up and makes the team, or, J- or if Keandre Miller arrives at some point, <clears throat> you still have that hole there on that left side. Um, but I can I can see them starting the season with him on the right. And I don't think he can play first pair. I'm sorry. I, you know, I, lo- I, I really like what D'Angelo has become as a player. As a tough kid and a com- competitive guy, I think he's 
really improved the way he defends, and, and obviously his off, his offense has really blossomed. But I don't think you can play him top pair minutes against Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, et cetera, et cetera. Jack Eichel and go on, you know, down the line. I don't think he can do that. I don't think I don't think he'll be better than Brady Shea. So, Oof! That well, hold on. <laughs> I, I don't. Well, I don't. I, in terms of in terms of being a first paired shutdown guy, I don't think he's better than Brady Shea. Definitely not on defense. So, he's been, he's always been yeah. offensive. You know what I mean? But um, he he moves the puck as well as anybody on the team. Maybe you know in the top small percentage of the league as far as moving the puck. But he doesn't defend, and you I think you need somebody who can defend to play with Truba. Speaking of, yeah, speaking of this first pairing uh, with Truba, Truba obviously struggled the first year, and I think that's because he never really had a solid partner. All, all Everything to Mark Stahl, you know, love Mark, happy, uh, hope hope he has a happy rest of his career in Detroit. I have nothing bad to say about him now that he's not on my team. He's a great guy. Um, talk me off this ledge that my opening night pairing will not be Jack Johnson, Truba as my first pairing. Just do it. Help me. Help me. Because I can't. That's what I That's what I envisioned. That it's going to be Jack Johnson, Jacob Truba opening night at MSG, maybe. I think that's a nightmare. So, you know, I don't have a, I don't have a, I don't have a stake in this race. And I think it's a nightmare. So. But it feels I, realistic, know. Rick. Like, am I crazy to think that that's a possibility? Yeah, it's possible. I, oh, my God. I, think I do. I do. And, and I, I wouldn't do it. Um, I would put Lindgren up there. Actually, and maybe fiddle with Fox and D'Angelo, maybe fiddle with whatever you know, any other any other combinations, um, Fox uh, Fox and Hayek. But I would not go Johnson Truba, and if you do, you're asking for trouble because <laughs> you know, nice career that Jack Johnson's had. He's not a first pair player. I don't know that he's a top six, and. Uh, I think that would be a disaster if they if they give him that kind of responsibility and minutes. I think it would be a disaster for Truba. I think, you know, Truba finally seemed to get his legs under him late last season and the brief playoffs, and it was brief. Um, with As you said, without a partner. He had, you know, he had Brady <laughs> that whole time. Right. And then he has Brendan Smith, who, God love him for, for what he did, you know, what – what he faced and put him through a lot yeah i mean he was fine for what they needed but he can't be your first pair defenseman and he's better than jack johnson so you know do the math i hate doing math but same do that one same speaking (laughs) of doing math and greg unless you have a dire question here i want to do a follow-up with the the bonuses like do you think because of these bonuses that we've talked about and again we hate doing math everybody on this podcast hates math period Greg likes no. numbers, but only when they're in his bank account. You know what I'm talking about? But in this in this case... Uh, d- d- Ryan didn't like him this week, and the Breeders' Cup really <laughs> royally porked me. Let me tell you. I've been on 28 races this week, and I won two. Five years, I did not baby. win those two big enough. Five years, stop oh, six, don't God. change. Um, it, oh, do, you think, do you think the bonuses uh, actually X out the uh, the chance that Keandre Miller or one of these players that have big-time bonuses could make the team? Like, is it less of a chance because of those bonuses? Or if they play, like, if Keandre Miller plays well in camp and he impresses everybody, and he's just he's, is he just on this squad moving forward? Yeah, I think that J.D. and Gordon will have to fight David Quinn physically. I do. I think Keandre, so, too. If Keandre Miller has a great camp. Um I don't. I don't think they'll do that. I don't. 
I, I don't fully understand all the numbers and how they kick in and what would have to happen if they start if some of these kids start meeting these numbers. Obviously, something would happen, have to happen to make room on under the flat cap. But I think if Keandre Miller is ready to play and he has a great camp, he's on the team. And and if they if they stop him from being in the NHL because of bonuses and because of a flat salary cap, that's just wrong. And they've never operated that way. I don't think they will. I don't. I don't believe that JD would ever allow that to happen either. I I, I agree with everything you said. I also wanted to go back and just agree with you that Lindgren seems like the guy that needs to be playing with Truba, just because. I don't think you could ask Keandre Miller to do it as a rookie. I don't think you could ask Lieber Hayek to do it, considering all we've seen from him to this point. And for the three of our sakes, I don't think we want to see Jack Johnson up there because Twitter would become even bigger dumpster fire than it already is. Uh, but Rick, my question to you, is there a move the Rangers didn't make this offseason that surprised you? Um, you know, I mean, the fact that they didn't do anything really significant, I mean, they, they, they made a bunch of little as you saw, really small moves. Um, I can't say I was – I certainly wasn't surprised by the Lundqvist move. I certainly didn't know the stall thing was coming but thought it was possible. Um, and then losing Fost, you could kind of see it coming. Uh, so in terms of what they did, no, no surprises. In terms of what they didn't do, I guess I wasn't expecting much, understanding as little as I do understanding the salary cap and uh, and where they are and and the the real, realistic uh, situation that they're in with the two huge dead cap space uh, dead cap space from Lundquist and Shattenkirk buyouts that's a Stanley Cup uh, champion by the way Kevin Shattenkirk if you're wondering yeah I remember <laughs> <laughs> I'm re- and I am really happy for him because I'll tell you he's what, a great guy man. I, I, I knocked him I knocked him as a player a lot, but he is just one of the top, top people in the National Hockey League. And I've known him for a long time because he played in New Rochelle. He grew up in New He didn't play in New Rochelle. He grew up in New Rochelle and played in Greenwich. And I've known him for, for quite a long time and uh, just a tremendous guy. Um, so happy for him. So, so much, so happy for him to, to get that cup. But, um, but his buyout, you know, it's strangling. I think, I still think, Signing him when they did was the biggest mistake of, of the rebuild. And it was just poorly timed. And even they knew his deficiencies when they did it. So I think that was the biggest mistake of the entire rebuild. And people say, well, the rebuild didn't start until February that year. In my opinion, the rebuild started when they traded Stepan and bought out Girardi. Agreed. So, uh, you know, and got the first round pick for Stepan. Uh, and get the Angelo. Um, I think that that was the that was the rebuild beginning. And in fact, the year before, I had asked Gordon if he. I think it was that breakup day the year before. Uh, I asked Gordon if he had ever thought about you know blowing it up and starting over, and he said he had after the prior year's uh, playoff failure. So I think that I think that signaled the start of the rebuild and that Shattenkirk. Shattenkirk signing was a big mistake at that time. That now we just got completely off course. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. But no, but knowing that, knowing that they had that whatever it is, twelve million in dead space, um, I, I, I really 
couldn't expect them to do anything else. Something but, I, so oh, I, the, but I was just going to say, um, just considering how much we've talked about it before, obviously the opportunity existed for the Rangers to trade one of Strom or D'Angelo if they wanted to, but you're not surprised they ended up keeping both. No, I thought that, you know, there was a chance they would, um, they would trade Strom. Uh, and I think they tried to do it at the draft. I think they tried to do it uh, at the deadline. And I think they will continue to, to try to do it um, in the future if and when they can get something for him. They're not, gonna, they're not trading him for good riddance, and they don't dislike him. And now they don't think he's making too much money. Um, but, they, you know, he's a guy who is not going to be here in two years, and he's not going to be part of the turning the corner. And he can't be your number two center, and he can't make four point five million and be your third center. So, uh, I still think he's going to be up for grabs and in play all the time. Well, we didn't talk about the draft with you, Rick. Um, I think we've kind of uh, we've all been pretty busy these past couple of weeks, so we haven't had the time to kind of break this down. Obviously, the Rangers are super pumped to have Lafreniere, um, the first overall pick. There's no real surprise there, and there's no analysis we can all do except he's probably really good. On top of that. Um, some people are still surprised by the trading up of, uh, for Brandon the Josh Schneider and, or maybe uh, even trading Leah Anderson. Was there anything the Rangers did that surprised you? Um, they loved Brandon Schneider and just from what, even just like some of the behind the scenes clips where JD's like muscle toughness, grit, like this is a kind of player we saw win in the playoffs. And then that's what they went up for. Even, even though like draft nerds that we know were, were super upset and crying into their cereal bowls. Because they traded it? Because they drafted him? Because they... Cause they drafted him, yeah. There yeah. Were, a lot of people were against the Schneider draft, especially uh, 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 people I'll we knew the night of. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm not going to pretend that I had even ever heard his name before mm-hmm. the draft. So, But I will tell you that they absolutely love him. And I will tell you that other people from other teams that I've talked to think they made a great pick, um, including the team that was about to draft him. The Devils. The Devils. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, again, I'm not going to pretend to know a thing about this kid except what the Rangers have told me and what the mm-hmm. people on the draft telecast have said about him. Um, but yeah, I mean, if he can, if he's that good a skater and can play physically and with some bite, uh, that's a, you know, that's a guy that that's the kind of guy they need. Again, we're not going to see him for three right. years. Three, minimum. maybe. Yeah, probably three. And but they, but they love they absolutely loved him. One thing so. one thing I noticed a lot about this draft, Rick, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe you heard this, and I kind of that's why I'm trying to con- kind of confirm it. It seems the Rangers are really taking, and I, I don't want want to put this the wrong way, but it seems like they're taking character seriously into consideration to their draft picks. Obviously, Lafreniere, you just take him. He's the best player available. He's the number one overall pick, etc. Yeah. But every other draft pick, they like. It seems they took the character and the interview sessions like a lot more seriously than they would have like uh, quote unquote the scout sheets this time. It, it, did you hear anything of that of that from like? J.D. and Gordon, or am I just making yeah. shit up here? No, you're not, actually. You're, you're, you're dead on. And, and I'll, I'll say this, too. I'll go back to 2018 um, when, they, when they sent out the letter and they were talking about they're gonna, we're going to draft kids with character. And, uh, and this, this, this is what they said in 18. And then, you know, they thought they had that in Leah Sanderson. turned out to be unproven. Mm-hmm. But they certainly thought they were getting that in Howden. Uh, they, they certainly knew they were getting that in Lindgren. And they made that effort then. I think they backed off that a little bit as they built up the skill that they badly, badly needed in the organization. 
you know, when you get a Kako, as great a kid as he is, uh, you know, you don't get him for, for character or grit or any of that stuff. And Lafreniere right. has a little has a little bite, from what I understand, in terms of getting in on the forecheck and causing problems. Um, but, you know, I think once they loaded up on, on the skill, and then once Carolina happened, I mean, that, that three-game series, three nights. Brutal. Was vicious, and I think it opened. I think it popped their eyes open. Um, now again, you can't just have character. You can't just have, you know, J- Justin Williams and and guys like that. Braden, you know, Braden Coburn. <laughs> you know, the, you ha- those are the guys that you know Tampa gets or or another team gets when they're close. You don't go drafting guys like that. You don't go drafting for just for character. But the the two guys that they got uh, in the, late in the first round and in the second round are players too. I mean, again, prove me, you know, prove it to me mm-hmm. when I see it. Um, I thought from all I heard that they had that in Anderson, and uh, so let's see. But they they've done the, the part of the rebuild with some luck, where they've added elite talent, elite skill that they badly needed. And now they have to add the other parts to the, to an organization, uh, but they can't sacrifice talent and just get grit. They can't do that. Cannot do that. Rick, I guess this is the part of the. I mean, it's, the Rangers haven't done much this off season, so forgive us for not having more off season questions for you. But I, I I think you you told this to us as well. That you know, you can only talk about that so much. Let's talk about. This fairyland world where the New York Rangers are playing hockey again, and they're doing it for 82 games. And who knows? Maybe one day we'll even be able to see them in person, huh. perhaps. Huh. Uh, you um, you so kindly put out your projected lines already once in one article that I've seen written <laughs> in the last couple of weeks. How about we tear that apart for the next 10 minutes? <laughs> Jesus. Hey, let's, let's do it, because I knew it wasn't perfect. I, I, just, I just figured I was going to throw it together after I'd – Given you all the information I, I thought of, uh, I thought these two moves provided, the, the two signings um, of Lemieux and Strom and what that meant up front. But how they're going to fit together, go ahead. <laughs> I'm, I'm listening. Well, I, it, it's more of, I think, and I, you've pointed this out a couple times as well, I think it's an inevitability that Kreider moves over to the right. Mm-hmm. But you would be surprised if that happened on opening night itself, Yes. Not necessarily. But, you know, I'm, well, you know why? Because when you say opening night, when you say opening night, I don't. I, I no longer. I've been doing this for too goddamn long to, to to say opening night because everything you plan opening night now changes in training camp, and you don't know what what's going to happen in camp. And if if they show up in training camp and Kako is ready to go and ready to r- rock and roll. And Lafreniere is not. Then Kreider plays left wing with Zabanajad and either Buchnevich or Kako. And Kako plays with Panarin and Strom. And it, you know, so 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 no, Kreider's on the left wing. Um, that said, if Kako's not ready to go and Buchnevich is is one of your right wings, and Lafreniere is top six, then Kreider moves. Simple. So, you know, I can't say uh, opening night is, is going to be, 
you know, what I predict now. That's not gonna, that's probably not going to happen. But what's going to happen? Opening training camp. I think Kreider's on the left. I, I guess that I, right. You're right. Though all we should be planning for is for day one of training camp. So, no. but Lafreniere is going to have to knock the doors down in order to get in the top six in your mind. Or do you think it's almost the, from what we know with Quinn is he's never allowed a rookie to not earn his spot, but he's also never given them a spot outright. Right. So, I it would be unrealistic to believe that Lafreniere has a top six spot for him to lose, right? It's more of if he earns it, he'll get it. But Quinn personally, probably planning him on the third line right now. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think they'll give him the opportunity though. I think in, you know, I don't know how many preseason games they're going to play, hopefully more than one this time. But, um, you know, I think he'll get a chance to play with Mika and with, uh, with Panarin or not with Panarin, with, uh, Strom and with Hedl. I think he'll get a chance to play with all those guys during the, during the preseason. He'll probably play all whatever. If it's six games, he'll probably play all six. If it's five games, he'll play all five. You know, and I think that um, the opportunity is going to be there. I think Quinn would love to see him, you know, force his way into the top six. But that said, Quinn's here to develop. That's the number one thing on his resume or on his mandate even though he'll say he wants to make the playoffs and win, uh, you know, he has to develop. And he's not going to put Lafreniere in a bad spot. Certainly you're not going to do anything to mess with that kid in his first year. And we saw what the number one pick did last year. Um, and that kid struggled. And uh, so I don't We saw Kako. I mean, Kako struggled. He had a real rough year up to the playoffs, Rick. Yeah, like his yeah, playoff, and, his playoffs super imp- impressive. But at the rest of the year was yeah, real rough. Yeah, and and so was Hughes. You you know Hughes really struggling. It's hard. You know, it's really hard. I think you know Lafreniere is seen by the experts, and I am not one of them. I'm not an expert uh, on prospects, but he's seen as a better prospect than both of those guys. So we'll see, but. I don't think you force him to do anything that he's not ready for. Um, but he'll, as I said, he'll get the opportunity. With uh, so obviously, I think he'll start on the not not so obviously, but I think he'll start on the third line just from David Quinn. Obviously, one of the things you said there was David Quinn is here to develop. This is sort of the last year he still has a chance to develop, right? Because after this. It's like, hey, put up or shut up and, and win. Because I've liked Quinn as a, co- a coach so far. It's been nice for the rebuild. I thought he's handled the team really well, like his personality. But and I don't know if there's anything you've heard about this, but do they expect Quinn to be the coach when they turn the corner? They hope he is. Right. Um, you know, they hope he doesn't do anything that's going to make them change their minds. Because when they turn, if they turn the corner in 21, 22, and that's possible, he's still going to have. Miller arriving and Robertson arriving and, and uh, Barron arriving. You know, there's still going to be plenty of, of youth coming, and it's still going to be a very extremely young team. In fact, it's it's going to be young. It could be younger this year than it was last year, and in 21-22, it could be younger even still than it was this year. So, I think they hope because because he is. Uh, a guy who develops talent and and is good the way he handles the kids. He's a teacher and he's a hands-on guy and he's a communicator. I think they hope and pray that he's a good enough coach when they do turn the corner to still be here. Um, but that said, I think, you know, 
the beginning of the turning, when you start making that right, <laughs> I, I think that, that he's going to be here because they're still going to be very, very young and they're still going to need that guidance. Um, and then when they are ready in spring of 22, say, uh, which is possible, to, to be at least in the mix uh, in the playoffs, to, to be a team that has a chance uh, in 2022, and then if he can't handle that, then we see. Then we see maybe they have to do it. He hasn't, you know, he hasn't done anything to show that he can't coach yet, but he hasn't had an opportunity to show that he can be an NHL coach of a contending team yet. So um, I'm not saying he can. I'm not saying he can't. I, we don't know. I don't think anybody knows. Mm-hmm. Uh, last one for me, Rick, before we so graciously thank you for your time with us and let you go back to – uh, I guess preparing for your next round of golf because the weather is still incredibly nice. Um, we haven't mentioned his name yet on this podcast, and it feels weird to say that. How much of the starts will Igor Shosturkin get to eat up this year, percentage-wise? Yeah, well, if it's if it's eighty-two games, I, I think he gets fifty-five minimum. Um, and so whatever percentage. <laughs> I don't do percentages, man. Math, we don't do it. It's not a math podcast. I think we agreed on this. <laughs> but, You're supposed but to be our Steve Kornacki. You're supposed to get in there, show us what the counties are doing. Come on. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Let me give you one. I'll give you a couple of heat maps. But, uh, he, uh, he, you know, he's the number one goalie. There's no question about it. Um, you know, and if you're a little nervous, you have the right to be that he got hurt a couple times last year. You know, they're a little, they're, except for the automobile accident, there were little nicks and things, but he went down twice. And uh, that's, you know, for a young kid, that's not good. So it could be just a fluke. It could both be little little tiny injuries that anybody could suffer. You hope he's not brittle, uh, and you hope he can handle a big load because he'll get a big load. Right. Uh, they love Georgiev, and if Shesterkin gets hurt or isn't playing well, they're perfectly comfortable riding Georgiev for a while. But I think if all things are equal and they're both healthy, Shesterkin is the number one and, and gets number one time. I get he gets most he gets the lion's share. Final question for me, Rick. Obviously, you you know you talked about Igor being banged up and not definitely not that Henrik Lundqvist forced his way to playoff starts in his last games as a Rangers. Definitely not that. Um, since Henrik has left the team, he's become so much cooler on social media and is so awesome and is making me jealous. Is this ex-girlfriend relationship syndrome where he goes out there, he's like, hey, look, I'm awesome now and I, everyone knows I'm awesome. I didn't do any of this when we were together, but now I have to show off. Like, why does he want to hurt me so much is my final question. Yeah, I thought about that too. I, I'm sure it's not bad. I think it's more that, you know, the owner of the Capitals is very social media conscious. Um, the the cap you go you go to a Capitals game and sit in the press box, and every blogger in the in the District of Columbia is in the press box. Like it's unheard Excuse me, of. I'm crying. Um, Excuse me, I'm crying. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> it, it's un, it's unheard of, and and frankly, it's a little bit annoying when you're trying to work, but it but it's. Uh, he is really social conscious, and I think that um, I think Henrik was kind of told that you know that, that this would be really great for you to do. I think. I mean, I'm speculating. I haven't right. This is speculation, him. allegedly. Yeah, I, I haven't spoken to him since the Zoom call on the on the last uh, his last start, and uh, so I, you know, 
I don't I don't know what it is, but he has been out there a lot. And good for him. You know what? Good for him because anything he does, um, he's handled himself with so much class and dignity, and he does so much good for communities and for charities. Whatever he does, I'm good with it. I, if he wins the Stanley Cup this year, I'm good with it. If he, I'm too. When he goes to the Hall of Fame, I'm be so happy. When he, you know, when his number goes up, I'm going to be there. And all those things. Uh, he's one of the coolest athletes that I've ever covered. Um, one of the guys who really, really gets it. And uh, if he wants to be out there on social, as long as he's not talking politics. Um, <laughs> I'm just pissed off because one, I'll never get a seat as a blogger. I'm not even a blogger. I'm the number one podcaster with Greg. We'll never get anything. And Hank's just out there having the best time of his life every day. Like I love Washington. It's great here. And I'm sitting here like I want to end my life. All right, Rick. Thanks. So thanks so much for coming on for our fifth year anniversary. This was awesome. Uh, anything else you got to plug? You got the Ryan Strom story coming out for the athletic, obviously anything else uh, tomorrow. I've got a story about the next trade deadline and free agency. Awesome, awesome. When, uh, when, when are you doing our big expose? Which one? The one on the us. The one about the, us. Our, yeah, the fifth year anniversary. Now, the right? podcast that. Are you guys? Re, do you guys really want me doing an expose on you? I mean, I you, yeah, I mean, yes. <laughs> you guys really want me digging up stuff? All right, I'll ask the real question that me and Greg want to ask. Has Vince invited you on the podcast yet? Because he hasn't invited on us. Um, Vince. <laughs> Uh, we, don't, we don't mention his employer anymore. So. Oh, okay. Sorry. Ooh. Sorry. Sorry. My apologies. My apologies. My I like apologies. Vince. I, I really like Vince. Yep. Um, he helped me a lot when I was there, and he's a nice kid, and he works really hard, but we do not. <laughs> okay. We don't talk do about them? not plug talk, his employer in any way. So I do, sh- I do poop on it a lot on the internet. Is that okay? <laughs> That's fine. Okay. <laughs> All right, good. We're good. Rick, you're the best, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Guys, happy anniversary. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Hey, we're back. Great interview with our dear best friend, Rick Carpinello of The Athletic. I think we did some great great questions. Great questions, Greg. High fives. Nice. All right. Five years of practice. We finally got it. We then. finally figured it out. Um, We're going to talk about not hockey now. So if you're done with the podcast, what? yeah, I totally respect it. You could turn this podcast off right now. We're going to talk about the Mets and some other things. Um, but if you've supported us over the years, can't thank you enough. Patreon supporters, people we know, everybody else, our friends, people who've, the haters, everybody. Thank you so much uh, from Greg and I. Uh, anything else you want to say before they get out of here? Nah, we'll see who sticks around another five years. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> Even us, who knows? All right, uh, we're follow me on Twitter, or I mean, follow Greg at Blue Shirts Breakaway. All right, Greg. Uh, mm. Friday, during mm. a, uh, a a pivotal moment in history around the world, uh, elections and, vo- and votes being counted or not counted around. I was in Philadelphia. And I'm going to say it right now. It was only pivotal because of what you're about to say. Yes. Uh, and as I was looking among the streets of Philadelphia as the, the protests continued, I saw the text. The, the, mm. deal, the deal is closed. And I continued to ride my bike. And as I got and parked my bike, I, I put the lock on and I checked Twitter one more time to post a video of what I was seeing. And it said, mm-hmm. everyone has been fired from the Mets organization at this time. <laughs> <laughs> Literally everyone is gone. And I thought uh... to myself, in any other life, in any other day, I would want to speak to Greg at this moment. It's the most I've ever wanted to speak to you, and I couldn't. Please tell me your immediate reaction. My immediate reaction... The... the... The pace in which it happened, so quick, was incredible. It was, it, it was because there had honestly, honest to God, there hadn't been. There was this uh, assumption that 
Steve Cohen and Sandy Alderson would want to uh, clean house a little bit, put the guys they want in to get there. But there was still this uneasiness about if it would actually happen because there was this lingering question of how much did Sandy Alderson want to be in charge of things this offseason? So maybe that it would have been like a get a couple months in, let Sandy can, can you like, do his thing. Give me up to get the date on this. Like I know Alderson, he he went through some health problems and went through everything. And all of a sudden Steve Cohen's yeah. back. He's like, I love that guy. He's in charge of everything. Well, so you have to remember that Steve Cohen's was a part owner of the Mets before he bought the whole shebang. Right. Got it. So Steve Cohen has a lot of familiarity with the people organizational around. structure himself. Yes. He, he saw firsthand. He was sadly a silent partner. And he couldn't have as much of a say as he wanted to have. But it was very clear Sandy Olison always wanted to do more with the Mets. And the Wilpons never let him do more. So I don't think I, – I, that Sandy's health definitely played into it when he left. But I also think there was just this sense of, fuck this. Like, I'm too old for this shit is how Sandy Olison eventually felt when it mm-hmm. came to the Wilpons. Um I, I, for everything I've been able to read, everything I've been able to pick up, and just from being able to follow the Mets as much as I have, it's very clear that Sandy's dream is not to run the Mets on a daily basis. All Sandy wants to do is here's this organization that he's played a very large role in establishing. Just about every star that is on the Mets today is here because of Sandy Olsen. Pete Alonso was a Sandy draft pick. Dom Smith, a Sandy draft pick. DeGrom was brought up through the system under sandy uh right like i don't i don't think sandy wanted to ship out kalenic that's that's what i'll say he wouldn't have that was his final first round draft pick right um and also sandy would have understood that if sandy was in charge he would have gone to the wilpons and said look you can get diaz all it's going to take is you to eat cano's contract that's it that's all you would have to do sure you'd have to give up like a middling prospect Maybe Justin Dunn is still traded. Right, no, but one even, way or even the then, other. and you know we're we're prospect nuts. I had Kalenic on my board as two of that draft, number two. Yeah, no, uh, and Alderson loved Kalenic. That was his guy. He wanted to make sure he got Kalenic. There was no situation in which Alderson was trading Kalenic, especially for a reliever. It, it's just that simple. It wouldn't have happened. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. I'm excited for Kalenic to win Rookie of the Year next year. It's really going to be great for my dynasty team. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, Alderson, I think the reason why Cohen did it immediately is because Alderson is confident if he has to get the Mets through this offseason, he do, he can do it. This is this is he knows everything about this organization. There aren't players here. There's what, two draft classes that Alderson needs to familiarize himself with. And the way Brody conducted those drafts is he took five guys and then just didn't make any other picks because he wanted to just pay those five guys. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I Sandy has to feel pretty. Uh, by the way, first name basis with all these. Guys. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, um, Alderson has to feel like he's good. Yeah, I, I, it's very clear. Um, there have been a lot of reports. Apparently, before the Mets hired Brody Van Wagenen, Steve Cohen had highly encouraged the Wilpons to interview uh, assistant general manager of the Tampa Bay Rays, Bobby Heck. Get out of here! So it, it, get the fuck uh, out. <laughs> Bobby Heck is one contender. But Alderson also went back to the A's and has a lot of good relationships with the A's. And everyone, we're going to hear a lot about this guy, Billy Owens, over the next couple of days. Uh, I think those are probably your two leading candidates for the Mets job. Um, yeah, I, I, it doesn't surprise me. Alderson wants his guys. Now, the interesting here is 
Luis Rojas is an Alderson guy. Rojas was brought into the system by Alderson. Right, so, so maybe he doesn't I, toss him out right away like he yeah, did everybody I, else. Well, I don't, th- I don't think, I don't think Rojas is going to go anywhere because he was um, a highly respected minor league manager under Alderson, and Alderson kept promoting him. So I, I, I do think Rojas is going to. Can I go sideways for just like Rojas, two seconds? Would have done it already. I'm going sideways. Just, I'm going sideways just for two seconds. Okay. So everybody that was in part of that scandal, pretty much, is like back in baseball or is suing baseball, except You're about Beltron, except for Carlos Beltron. So what am I missing? If we just could forgive first time, first time Al manager, it's simple. He doesn't have a ring. I just don't get it. Like, well, I, I think Beltron's going to come back. I think he's going to have to start as a bench coach. I don't think someone's going to try to make him a manager right away. I, listen, I don't think any of these guys should be in baseball anymore. Period. End of story. But if they're all back, like Carlos Beltran, well-respected guy, clearly very intelligent, and 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 we never saw that get him, we never saw, got to see a chance of him as a manager, but. Everyone else is back. Everyone else is managing or doing something in baseball. It's ridiculous. Well, remember that Cora was rehired by the team that fired him. Correct. After he got a ring. ring. Right. Yeah. And AJ Hinch has a ring and went to another World Series as well. Fine. It just, it's, to it me, sucks, it's, it sucks for Beltron. It, it does. Sits I'm, the wrong I'm not going to say it doesn't. If, I, if, think he's, I think someone's going to bring him in as a bench coach, and it could be the Mets. Imagine a scenario in which Rojas. Is manager and Beltron's bench coach. I think it's totally possible. That's totally fine. I just it doesn't make sense to me if that's how we're gonna work as as baseball. Like we we'll let these other guys back in, but Beltron now nah, we're good. I don't get it. So anyway, that's what I, I want to talk about. If if Beltron had even one year of managerial experience, I credit to baseball where they do try to. There's not a uh, rotation of the same 35 candidates for every job opening in baseball teams do go off the beaten path a lot more than they used to. Right. Um, I don't know. You also have to think about it from Beltron's perspective, dude. Yeah. It's not like the Mets stopped paying him. That guy's still cashing checks, man. I He's did, not in a hurry. I actually didn't think about that. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Cohen doesn't care. His money. All right. So Brody gets fired right away. This is yeah. what I, let's get right. into it. Um, I didn't hate Brody. Didn't love him. Again, I want to point out to all the people still listening. If you're still around, I'm not a Mets fan. I'm very much a race fan. Can confirm. Uh, um, do not care, but I am invested in the team somewhat because I talk to Greg all the time, and I'm also yep. Sucks for you, man. I'm also from New York, so I'm very familiar with all things baseball. I like Brody a little bit, but I thought a lot of his uh, strategies were particularly interesting, and some of his signings were were bad. Were you shocked mm-hmm. that he got sent away right away, or like, hey, I own the team now. I want all my own people. I don't care. Once they announced Sandy Alderson was going to be team president, it was just a matter of time. Got it. Uh, I it all it. Brody is not a Sandy guy. Uh, I think the the nicest way you can describe Brody's two years as Mets manager, uh, general manager, is checkered. Um, for every good move he made, I will still defend the Marcus Stroman trade. Um, but if you're going to make the Marcus Stroman trade, I don't understand what you did with Zach Wheeler. I get that at some point. That's the Wilpon saying we're not paying Zach Wheeler. But still, you allowed yourself to get into that situation where you essentially walked away for, from Zach Wheeler just for a compensatory draft pick when you could have gotten so much more. Um, a lot more. The the Kalenic trade, case in point, we're done there. Done. Uh, as much as I like him bringing in J.D. Davis on the low, what he did with the Astros, it's, it's hard to ignore the fact that he made similar trades for Jake Marisnik and Keon Broxton that just cost the Mets depth prospects that could turn out. Um, especially Blake Taylor, who's now a good and solid reliever with the Astros. And, you know, the New York Mets don't necessarily have uh, relievers. Reliever. They don't do it. Um, I understood what he was trying to do by signing Porcello and Waka, but everybody and their mother could have told you those guys were cooked. 
and big fucking surprise, those guys were still cooked. Shocker. Um, Do you think he yeah, gets a it, job anywhere else? No, not not I as a general manager, but even I guess I, I really don't think he gets well, he anywhere. To, I, I I did the reading. He has to recertify as an agent if he wants to become an agent again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from what Ken Rosenthal reported, uh, hashtag the athletic Ken Rosenthal. Hey, apparently Major League Baseball Players Association uh, not happy with how Brody left as an agent. So Rosenthal said that if Brody wants to stick in baseball, it's probably in a TV gig. Which possible? I could see him getting some kind of ESPN job. Huh? That's interesting. He's also making bank too, so he doesn't have to work for. I'm a not while. worried about it, but it was weird that he was like the manager or the the agent for most of the Mets, and then yeah, yeah, the yeah, like Jed Lowry, who played all of seven games and had eight at bats in two years. Cool, twenty million dollars, right? Yep, sure did. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. Money doesn't matter to me anymore, so I don't even have to. Joke about <laughs> right? That. What like, is no money? Here's the thing. Next year, when someone's like, hey, man, happy Bob Bonilla Day, I'm going to be like, great. I don't fucking care. We, we just gave Francisco Lindor $300 million. Yeah. My we gave like, Bobby Bonilla a double, say. and we gave it today. <laughs> yeah, that's, but, Ryan, I got to tell you, my yeah. absolute favorite thing I've seen so far this entire offseason is uh, just every report about any free agent being available. And everyone's like, well, the Mets are going to get the first crack. And then whatever the Mets want to do, whoever decides to do it after them, go for it. Yeah, so I saw like, like three articles today. It was like, who's going to the Mets first, Lindor or Arenado? And I was like, wait, yeah, hold I on. Saw, what I are saw we, like three, what I saw are we three talking articles about? today from Cleveland reporters being like, Francisco Lindor is going to get traded. Will the Mets bite first? And if the Mets don't bite, will they actually trade him? So it's just like, yeah, life is good again, man. This is what I love. This is um, crazy. Get excited, dude. Bobby Heck is going to be Mets general manager. I'm going Super to pissed off about that. Day. I mean, it was, it was really close to being a Rays guy who now works with the Red Sox first. So there you go. Um, well, that's the thing. That's the thing. I always go like high and bloom. Yes. Yeah, so I, I, I love forgive him for what the Mookie Betts shit did, but there's, there's like that. That was wasn't, that wasn't high and bloom job. that did that. That mm-hmm. wasn't, I mean, I, that was him that made the trade, but mm-hmm. it wasn't him that called that. They mm-hmm. said, they said, uh, they said to him, we don't want to pay Mookie trade him. That's what happened. Had to be. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I don't know. I really don't because I guarantee you High and Bloom would have been Mets general manager if he wanted to be Mets general manager. But he took one look at the Mets finances and said, get the fuck out of here. I'm leaving. Like, there's just no way. He I wanted, see, to, I thought they wanted to strip Brody it down and build it in his own image. Yeah. Well, now he's going to get to that with the Red Sox. Congratulations. Yeah. So you, I don't know if he didn't want to pay Mookie. Like, maybe that went into it. But I think Hyam was very comfortable with trading Mookie. Hyam wanted to trade Jacob DeGrom. Not paying, not paying Mookie is the dumbest thing of all time. <laughs> it's so dumb. I know, uh, so dumb. but yeah, I no that 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 uh, that massacre was expected. I, I I again very surprised it happened as quickly as it did. We were talking less than an hour after he was like, "By the way, the bro, final, I think it was thirty six minutes," and I'm not kidding. Like I <laughs> I saw the tweet. I took a bike ride. I opened it. it everyone was dead. I was like, "Okay, yeah, that's it." it uh, amazing, but. I, if if there's if there's any guy who could be the interim, which is what Sandy essentially is now, because he's the president and he wants to hire a guy under him, nobody knows the system better than Sandy because he built the entire damn thing. Like if people forget, Sandy was here for like a decade. Right. He was around for a long time. He's been around forever, and so I'm sure Cohen has a great relationship with him. So that's probably part of it. Yeah, I just and I, I not to bring this back to American politics, Ryan. But here but we I are. Think Cohen also knows that Sandy Allison is just an adult. And now there's going to be an adult in the room making adult decisions for the organization. Right. So, like, if Sandy if Sandy goes to Steve Cohen and says, hey, man, we need to spend this amount of money to do this thing, I think Steve Cohen understands and trusts that 
this framework that's being presented in front of him is the best course of action to take because Alderson's done it everywhere he's went. So there, there's an adult in the room now. And don't see I've how this don't see how this was politics related, but that's okay. <laughs> just, you just don't? move on. Just move on. Just move on. Just move on. Just move on. <laughs> uh, all, I, look, it, if Alderson fucks it up, he fucks it up. But I, it, it's hard to imagine anyone that has known this Mets organization better. It, if Sandy can't figure it out, no one can. So, get rid of everybody. Give Sandy his chance. And if Sandy doesn't, if Sandy's not able to do it, I guarantee you, Steve Cohen will be like, "Cool, man. Next, let's go. Let's keep this. Let's keep the ball rolling here." I'm very excited for the 12:30 press conference tomorrow. I've never been this excited for a press conference in my entire life. I it, can I tell you something really extremely unreasonable, like extremely. I feel uh, like we have a better chance to get Steve Cohen on this podcast than most Rangers. I don't know that. I don't think that's unreasonable. <laughs> it's great. I like. I feel like there's a chance. Like it could happen. I know that sounds ridiculous, but when you, like even when you made the joke, like you know who's coming on, Rick or Steve Cohen, I was like, I think he's obtainable. Where I don't think we'll ever speak to Chris Kreider. Like I just, I just think it's a possibility. That's all I'll say. Yeah, well, it feels weird. I'm not gonna sit here and say no, baby. Steve, Steve, come on, buddy, Steve. Bubba. I just feel I like he gets the, the email. He's I like a Ranger the podcast. A podcast. That's I think a Mets it's called podcast. the Metrospective. Tim Britton's good people. I don't know Pete McCarthy personally, but I'm sure he's good people too. I understand that you could go to a different podcast to right. talk if you wanted to go on the athletics. Yeah. But baby, there's no way that's going to treat you as well as Uncle Greg does. <laughs> Come on now. Bubby, my guy, my dude, my G, my Stevie. Yeah, Come Steve, on, baby. Stevie Come on. Home. We'll, right, we'll have a lot of talks. I'll, I'll ask you questions about why uh, trading Kevin Smith for fucking Miguel Castro. Is some of the stupidest shit that I've ever seen in my entire life. One of my favorite podcasts. Uh, yeah, I just five years. You know what, man? Fuck Brody. I'm gonna say it. <laughs> Fuck that guy. I was such an I was so apologetic for every move that he made. And now that I'm thinking about the stupid shit that he pulled at this year's deadline during a dumb fuck sixty game season. Fuck Brody, man. Fuck him. Todd Fraser, fuck him. Robinson Chirinos, fuck him. Miguel Castro. Fuck them. He they were all, they were all a really weird move. All right, now, is, that, Miguel Castro had thirteen good innings. What? 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 Why? What? Who, why? What? Where? When? Why? <laughs> why? Unbelievable. Uh, classic way to end Blue Shirts Breakaway, number one New York Rangers podcast. Can't thank you all enough for the joining us for the five years. Love you all, Patreon subscribers, people we met, friends, family, enemies, rival podcasts of networks. We're not allowed to talk about. Thank you all so much. Mm. We'll be back later in the week with an OT. I don't know what the hell we're talking about, but we'll be back. And then we'll be back. It'll be, well, it'll be post-Steve Cohen p- press conference. I could just talk about that. For the <laughs> Honestly, yeah, we'll see what the athletic says. Um, they're like, yeah, Mets podcast, fine. Um, all right. Yeah, we think, just won't tell them. We'll just do it. That's it. That's true. All right. We're, uh, we'll be back. We'll love you guys. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back, I guess, with week one of year five to next. Oh, my God. Week mm-hmm. two? I want to. Yeah. All right. Bye, everyone. Love you.